you're ready. You know what you got. Go for it. And men, organizational leaders look at you and you too, ladies, to promote and develop great talent, to have diversity at the top. So promote yourself by developing others, such as women and individuals and minorities, right? and welcome back to episode five of Dogs on Top, The Ronophiles. I'm Deirdre Kane, the Director of Admissions for the Full-Time MBA Program. Today is a follow-up to a previous episode, recapping the first annual GWBA Summit. I am sharing the second session of the day, presented by Dr. Marie Mitchell, a professor of management. Her research expertise focuses on social and ethical issues in organizational behavior and human resource management, in addition to workplace deviance and aggression, social exchange and workplace relationships, trust, behavior ethics, and organizational justice. Marie is a recognized expert in negotiations, conflict resolution, and performance management. She teaches on negotiation strategies and performance management to a wide range of corporations and professional organizations and instructs working professionals in our executive and professional MBA programs. Prior to entering higher education, Marie worked in human resources management as an HR manager and HR consulting. What you will hear today is her workshop on giving and receiving effective feedback. For employees, she talks about how it's important to keep a diary of your successes, your failures, and how you fix them, how to be receptive to feedback, how to develop external awareness to learn how others perceive you, and how to prepare for those conversations with your managers. For managers, she provides a framework for providing actionable feedback. She explains how to manage one's own biases, how to use emotional intelligence to prepare for and manage feedback conversations so that they are a reciprocal activity that elevates both parties. And at the end, she presents research on gender in the workplace and how women and men can learn to balance how they exhibit both traditional male and female behaviors and also be aware of how those behaviors impact people's perceptions. I'll be back at the end to wrap things up, but I'm gonna turn you over to Dr. Mitchell now. Hello. Hi. How are you? So usually I teach negotiation to uh, executive and professional MBAs. And something that the panel said resonated with me that I just want to say before I start on giving and receiving feedback, which is your ability to self-promote. And I really want to push that on you. Ladies, they are right. Research suggests women do not negotiate for salaries, for bumps at performance reviews, and do it. Because there's a reason why there's a glass ceiling. So break it. Right? Aside from that, there's a study by Corn Ferry that came out recently, promoted by the Rockefeller Center, to try to get more women in the C-suite because there is an abysmal amount of women at the top of management in organizations. And what they found really resonated with what the panelists said, which is women don't think of themselves in top management positions. And when they're asked to be promoted, they get that same reaction, which is, really? Am I ready? You're ready. You know what you got. Go for it. And men, organizational leaders look at you and you too, ladies, to promote and develop great talent, to have diversity at the top. So promote yourself by developing others, such as women, 
and individuals and minorities, right? Okay, that's my little pop stand. I'll get down off of that. Let's talk about giving and receiving feedback. When you hear the word feedback, what does it mean to you? What'd you say? We had a professor who said feedback is a gift. So that's what popped into my mind. Whoa. Well, maybe. Yes? Sometimes feedback can be perceived as something you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. There's definitely different types of feedback, right? And negative feedback is highlighting things or areas to strengthen. That's the way I like to say it, as opposed to, you're doing this wrong, right? What else? Information. Information. It definitely is information. Um, you're not sure if it's useful information. You're not sure if it's constructive information. You're not sure if it's positive information. Potentially, it could be negative information. Um, and there's a lot that can get missed in translation on feedback, right? So there's three types of feedback. There's, as she mentioned, negative feedback that kind of puts a spotlight on the areas where you need to strengthen or where many bosses will say, you're not doing this correctly. You're doing this wrong. There's a lot of finger pointing that goes on. The second kind of feedback is positive feedback. It is the rare bird in an organization's life, right? Where you're doing this awesome, <laughs> putting a spotlight on the things that you do really, really well. And then there's constructive feedback, which is aimed to help an individual develop, grow, uh, sharpen their skill set, attack areas that could be stronger, that are a little bit weaker, right? So let's talk about feedback in terms of what research says in organizations. Whoop, here we go. Uh, does it surprise you that managers believe feedback is essential, but that a lot of them don't give it? And meta-analysis, which is an analysis of a bunch of studies that have been conducted on feedback, demonstrates that the relationship between providing feedback and an employee's elevation of performance is only moderate at best. And at 38% of employees, or 38% of the time, it's actually detrimental to the person's performance. Does that surprise you? For those of you who said no, and it's okay, tree of trust here, why does it not surprise you? I heard it from over here. So, so, I, so yeah. hi, I, I have 20 years of working experience and have done a lot of this and have given it, have gotten it. Is uh, most of the time, I can tell you in my 20 years of corporate experience, most of the time feedback to me was negative. It was a performance review of something I was doing wrong. It's, you know, taking a dart and stabbing it towards your forehead. And actually, there's emerging research that demonstrates that in the moment, negative feedback, because if you've taken OB, which I know you all have because you have to, um, and if you've taken leadership classes and you've gotten any kind of review about feedback, they tell you, do it right there in the moment when they're messing something up, because don't wait until the end. Well, that's true. But then if you get it negative the next day, you get it negative the next day, you get it negative the next day, in the moment, constant badgering actually diminishes a person's sense of self and self-worth so much, it's detrimental. Does it surprise anybody else that it could be bad and detrimental? Yeah. 
I even find sometimes positive feedback is very uncomfortable for, for me personally. I don't know if that's something other people experience, but positive feedback is uncomfortable and it's something I think about sometimes when I'm when I'm presenting, like that I don't want to do anything that's going to make an uncomfortable situation for myself. That's interesting. Maybe Why is it uncomfortable? I don't know. I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> Too much attention. You suck. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> is that better? Kind of like. All right. <laughs> You are an outlier from the norm. Um, I, could, I can tell in highly competitive environments sometimes, too, that putting a spotlight on overly great performance, too, also puts a target on your back, right, from employees as well. So there could be a sense of discomfort to it. Um, I, I get that, especially if it's public and it's out there as well. Well, let's talk about ineffective feedback. Although supervisors are really well-intended, not all of them provide feedback well. Some of them actually provide pretty dysfunctional feedback. And that can be in the form of very many things. For example, you could get the supervisor, a lot of whom I've dealt with as a consultant, as an HR manager, and doing exec ed, that, or even my P's and my E's in classes where they tell me, my supervisor would not give me specific comments on how to improve. It was really vague. And do you know why supervisors provide vague, vague feedback? Anybody? They, don't, they, don't know. they, don't, they may not know. That could be true, how to help you improve. They don't want to hurt your feelings. That's it. They're big wussies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they don't want to hurt your feelings and or they don't want to elicit the bear that could happen by providing you feedback that you need to improve. And so there's a lot of bias that can go into the evaluations that they provide in performance appraisal systems, as well as in the feedback that they provide you. Whatever the reason that they may provide ineffective feedback, and sometimes it's, it's because they have wrong information or they've derived wrong conclusions, then the employees left to try to make sense of what they've heard, right? And they're thinking, is it valid? Is it right? How do I change? What do I do? Then they adapt their behavior. And unfortunately, what can happen when ineffective feedback is given, as in 38% of the time, employees are engaged in misguided action that actually make matters worse, right? And so while I would love to tell you that your supervisors and you as supervisors are always going to get it right, you might not. And so I'm going to try to provide some tips to help you get the right kind of feedback from your bosses as well as you as a boss give the right kind of feedback to your employees. Um, why do you think your leader or a supervisor could actually have wrong information? Yes. It's very true. They could be getting wrong information, third-hand information. They could be misinterpreting data. Um, there are attribution errors that bosses fall prey to all the time, and one is called fundamental attribution error, which is whatever a performance problem is, it must be because of you. It can't be because of the situation. 
But let's say you move one of your best performing sales staff into a very tough segment thinking that would actually make it work, despite the fact that every other salesperson that was in that segment failed, right? And that person did okay, but their performance comparatively to past performance dipped. Suddenly it's the employee and it's not the situation, right? So it could be a misinterpretation of data, it could be an absence of data and they're extrapolating on third party uh, discussions about what that is. I mean, generally speaking, supervisors are supposed to be the best source of performance evaluation. But more and more in today's work environment, they're not there every single day looking over your shoulder trying to figure out how well you're doing things. Nor do we advise them to do that because that would be awful, right? So let's talk about some general biases that can occur. Um, the first being halo error which is giving a favorable evaluation uh, because you're impressed by one facet of performance. And this can occur if somebody brings in a big client and suddenly nothing else, no problems that they do are problematic. It's that big client that they brought in makes them the best person ever. And then the other is the absolute opposite. One thing that they did is clouding everything about that performance evaluation. Now, if any of you attended my job negotiation session, hopefully you got a big message from me, which is you are in control of your career. And I want you to be in control of the feedback that you receive as well. One thing that I said would be lovely for you to do is to start a diary at work right? And mark down all of the value statements that you provide based on your performance. And you can do it as, as often as you'd like. But you also have to mark down when you slip up. And not only when you slip up, what did you do in response to that to ensure that doesn't happen again or to rectify the wrong? Because when your boss brings up this horn problem, that one event, that one little slip, you can have your diary at your ready to say you're absolutely right. But here's how we handle it. And here's how we're better as a team, as an organization, as a consequence of that, right? And your boss sometimes will only remember that. When it comes to the other stuff, put a spotlight on all the value that you've also brought along the way to make sure that your boss's data is as accurate as your data, right? The other is first impression error, which can be positive or negative, and this is at the onset of your performance system or term, whatever that might be. And so you might have hit it out of the park initially, and so that's basically the bias that they're going by throughout the entire, entire performance period. Or you might have slipped initially, because you might be new to the position, you might, there might be a little learning that's going on, and suddenly that's overclouding them. Again, this diary is going to help you. Plus, when you become rich and famous, you can write a book because you're going to have your whole like, diary of your like, work life, and then you can, I don't, you, if you want to, say, and we thank Marie Mitchell for helping us. And I'm going to go, yay! Um, all right, so some other biases here. Recency error can occur as well. Now, Employees are not stupid. This is for you as managers as well. They know you're busy. 
They know their supervisors are busy. They've got their own performance goals and metrics to reach. And they don't really consider an entire year's worth of behaviors that you've engaged in. What they think about is the absolute last three months or so. What they can think about, what they can remember. To offset this bias, especially if something screwy happens within that short period of time, your diary is your best friend, right? You keep a dialogue of your own data. Uh, leniency error, these things occur, the, the last three, um, in relation to performance metrics. The first being they give everybody good ratings and they give everybody good feedback because they're avoiding having to have tough conversations with employees, right? The second is severity error, where you've got the boss that sees everybody negatively. You be in control of your data. And then the last one usually is what I hear is the knee-jerk reaction from the HR department. Nobody can be spectacular, right? Everybody has to be average. Everybody has to be a three. Um, and so that does sometimes occur. The problem with managers is they get this pushback from HR when they're like, no, this person is legitimately better right, than others. They are exceeding their goals, and to an extent, that's aberrant. They should be a five. They shouldn't be a three. Um, some other biases that can occur is clone. Similar to me, if they're like me, they must be fantastic, right? Now, great performance systems embed absolute examples that make it very difficult for a supervisor to engage in a lot of these biases. So they have them rate them, and then they have them give specific examples that make them a three, a four, a five. There are some performance appraisal systems that will actually have them along the two, the three, the four, the five. And they do that in my department. I know exactly what rating I'm going to get every single year because I know how many publications I do. I know what my teaching evaluations are. I know how many doctoral students I'm working with. All of that is part of my performance metric, and it's on the four line. It's on the three line. It's on the five line. Spillover also can occur. And this is a really unfortunate thing for an employee who did have a slip because the supervisor won't let it go. They just let that negative spillover happen from one appraisal system to the next appraisal system to the next appraisal system. If you've got a great appraisal system, it can help offset it, but you be in control of your feedback, right? Have that diary that helps you combat some of these biases that can occur. Now, this one occurs all the time and in various settings. It can happen with recruitment. It can happen when you're buying a car. It can happen when you are buying a house. It can happen in negotiation. And it certainly can happen in appraisal systems and feedback. And that is you're rating somebody who's abysmal. Their performance is really not good. And so you get somebody who's just, OK. They're average. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to be. But by contrast, they're fantastic, right? So suddenly, you're overly inflating the performance rating and the feedback they're getting unnecessarily. So imagine if you're recruiting, it's the same kind of thing. You interview somebody, and they're meh. And another person comes in, and they have a little bit more energy. And you're like, wow, that was great. 
And don't think for a minute that real estate agents don't know this. They'll bring you to a house that technically meets the things that you need, but that they're not the full agent on that get all the commissions for, and they know that it's kind of crappy. And then they take you to a house that they have full agency over, that they're going to get the full commission on, that they know you're going to love, and you're like, this is the one. Contrast effect. Be aware of it. So difficulties for a giver uh, of, re of feedback is automatically you know if you're providing some feedback that's not entirely positive and that has to even be constructive in nature, that employees are going to get defensive. It's natural. It's a human natural inclination that when you get some kind of negative feedback, negative information about yourself that you automatically want to put up a wall, right, and fight it. And supervisors know this. They're expecting somehow that the state of emotions is going to be anywhere from fear, which is uncomfortable to deal with, anxiety, anger, and extremity, right? And so they're considering that, ruminating on it, stewing on it. It affects their emotions before you even walk in that door. And somehow, this spillover can actually create a very bad feedback session. So from a manager's point of view, I want you to have a really high degree of emotional intelligence, something I heard from the panelists as well. I emphasize this in my negotiation classes because, frankly, negotiation is all about communication. Performance management is all about communication. And it's finding the ebb and flow that works really well with the other party and or, in this case, your employee. Understanding that those emotions are going to come into play, and they will, because it's what it's about. Emotion actually just kind of naturally takes over, and it's there for a reason, right? I mean, evolutionary biology will tell you this. You get fear on purpose so that your body is spiked with adrenaline and you run away, right? You get angry on purpose so your body gets spiked with adrenaline so you can fight. This is purposeful energy that your body is going through. Utilize it effectively and understand it and respect it. So as a manager, what I want you to do is start with self-awareness and I'm going to dig in more to this when we're talking about the receiver side. With self-awareness, I want you to understand that you're likely going to have these emotions and get them in check. Start thinking about strategies that you're going to use to ebb and flow the conversation so it doesn't get out of hand, right? And this is in advance. I want you to do feedback planning before you actually walk in the room. I want you to think about how you're going to keep things under control. And how you do that is focus on an overall goal for you and for the receiver, and it being positive. It being about, let's improve the work unit. Let's improve the organization. Let's improve and strengthen from where you're at, right? You're always going to start with the positives. They said, I like that, three up, two down. Um, I've heard a lot of variations of that. Certainly, I want you to start with some positives. That's for sure. They're waiting for the but. And in conflict management, and anytime you're having a difficult conversation, I will tell you, and research suggests, don't use the word but. 
because it is a trigger that sets off the back hair of an employee that makes them wait for it and get over defensive. Finger pointing statements are also not good, right? So you've got to have those things in advance planned. How you're going to state things to not say but, to say and, right? You have to think about ways of how you're going to present discussion points. I always say use a coaching approach, which is ask questions. And if, even if you know the answer, as frustrating it as it is, state it as a question. Have you thought about? You might consider. In my past experiences, this has tended to work for me. Do you think it could apply in this situation? Right? There are various ways of using language to twist it into a question as opposed to a statement. And what that automatically does is it engages participation on behalf of the employee, right? And the employee, when they're participating in the conversation about feedback and improvements, and it could be anything. It might not be a problem. It could just be you're facing a challenge, right? You might not have, as a manager, all the answers. Because, as we stated a little bit ago, you might not be in the trenches. Your employees might be in the trenches, and they really know the constraints, the ebbs, the flows, everything that's happening with that particular client, that particular task, everything associated with their world more than you do. And maybe they have tried the things that you thought, and the more information you know by posing it as a question and then giving you some answers, the more that you can assist them then on where do they go next, right? So, in advance, understand your emotional states, shot out how you're going to respond to various questions and various statements and the likelihood of defensiveness with certain questions that can aid the conversation and tilt it in a way that make it productive, right? Um, the second stage of this, of course, is managing your own emotion. And the more planning you do in advance, the easier that's going to be for you. The more you think ahead and you prepare, the better it's going to be for you. The other is understanding the likelihood of the emotional state of the employee. So how do you deal with that, right? And think about the ways that you can tilt the conversation to emphasize the ultimate goal and relieve their sense of anxiety, relieve their sense of fear, all right? And that will help you manage the conversation better. So what do you do? You're, you're talking to an employee, and you get this. Well, what's she thinking? What do you think she's thinking? She doesn't know what you just told her. She doesn't understand it. Any other alternative interpretations? Any other interpretations? So disagreement, doesn't understand. Doesn't take you seriously. Doesn't take you seriously. Okay, see, there are a variety of ways of interpreting this particular stance, right? How, do, how then do you traverse this look to understand what's really going on in her head? How do you ask her without poking a bear? 
I had, I'll give you, I'm vulnerable, I'll tell you, Tria Trust, uh, what happened to me one time. I was an HR manager working in a law firm in Washington, D.C. We had a partner, uh, not a partner, an a, a attorney who yelled at her employee. She was in her eighth month of pregnancy. She was eating at her desk, and the attorney lost it on her for eating at her desk. And the attorney was just pent up. She was about to go to trial, and so clearly she was venting her frustration. But to a pregnant woman, and everybody runs upstairs to me and is like, you got to control Susan. She's out of control. So I go down there, and she's looking at me like that. And I'm like, Susan, you really should not be yelling at employees. Don't you tell me what to do! So how do you not poke the bear? What do you, how do you approach the question then? Ask them how they're feeling, certainly, yes. That's literally what I was going to say. All right. Yes. Or even like how, like alternatives to how they could have handled the situation or how did they feel in that moment or something. I don't know. Tapping into feelings, getting into the depth of what's going on in their head about the feedback specifically that you're giving them, those are all great ideas. Yes. So whatever, whatever words you use, approaching it with a spirit of curiosity so that you're not taking your assumptions into it and putting additional barriers there. One thing that's you got to try to release, and it's really hard in the moment, is letting your assumptions overtake, right? And the best that you can by asking all of these questions is critical. So tell me about what's going on. Uh, tell me what you're thinking. And so you can unpack what is this and what it means. Does it mean that they're like, I don't believe anything you're saying? Is it, no, you're wrong, your data's wrong? Is it anything else that could be going on? And you've got to go from there. Once they do make a statement, ask more questions. Define the problem. That is the coaching approach. Okay, how about this one? <laughs> Frustration, overwhelm, maybe. He's got a headache. It's Georgia. I get sinuses problems all the time. Tissue in my pocket, literally right now. Could be. Could be. You've got to ask questions, right? Unpack the problem. It's, it could be discomforting. They could be highly engaged. You just don't know. You don't know what's going on. I've had an employee that had this kind of expression to me, and they finally just said, Marie, can we do this another time? I, my wife got into a horrible accident this morning. I really do need to head to the hospital. And I'm like, go. See ya. This is not the right time, clearly. You never know what's going on in an expression like that if you don't follow up and ask, but you certainly don't want to assume, right? Um, critically important. What I want you to try to use is what research has suggested is a really excellent framework, and this is actionable feedback. What it does is it aids in reducing biases, such as fundamental attribution error, such as all of the other ones that I gave you before, is focusing on data, one. Data's hard to refute. It's not that data can't be wrong. You could be misinterpreting the data, right? 
But data is something that's very difficult to, to, to refute. Um, examples of their behavior. And here, too, use with care. Because usually an example is paired by a very vague statement. And one that I heard recently from one of my PMBAs was, management does not believe, believes that you could improve on your interpersonal interactions. And then they gave one example. If it's a generalized idea across all managers, you need to kind of provide multiple examples that demonstrate it's not an isolated event. Because an isolated event could be purposeful. Maybe the person that they were interacting with was highly aggressive, right, and poked the bear. Maybe it was a client that was asking for way too much, and they weren't being necessarily aggressive, but they were simply stating, my company can't do that. Right? And so you need to provide the employee very specific examples that kind of unpack this so that they have something to go by to understand how to translate and change their behavior. For a manager, and for you, I also want you to think about the conditions under which, if there are any, the behavior occurs. Because maybe in the case of that example I gave you, the interpersonal interactions that are potentially contentious only occur with one person in the organization. Well, that suggests they just don't get along, right? And so maybe some other kind of intervention is there, and it shouldn't be all on one person. Um, as in the case of sales, maybe it's a very hard segment for somebody to tap into. All of that needs to be considered so that these other biases aren't outweighing the overall feedback that's provided. Consequences of behavior should be there too. So when that occurs, if it is interpersonal, that particular example, we've lost this client. We lost this client, right? Um, it affected so-and-so so much that they didn't come into work for the next two weeks. That would be a bad interaction, right? But it could happen. Um, some kind of consequence is really enlightening for people to know because, frankly, when you're doing your day-to-day -day business, and your interactions may be curt and candid and everything, and you might not really fully understand the implications of your own behavior on others around you, but when you become enlightened by that, that helps you understand how you need to ebb and flow into the future. And then, of course, I want you to consider your emotions, as I said before, and any of those cognitive biases. And as you're about doing your feedback sheet, right, your planning sheet, ask yourself, Am I being overridden by my emotion? Am I engaging in any of those biases that Marie talked about? Right? The other ones are going to help you combat it, but at the same time, keep yourself balanced. So another critical thing from a giver perspective that I think you need to understand is that employees are different in their styles. And this, this is a topology that academics have used. It doesn't cover every type of employee that's out there or every type of style of somebody in terms of receiving feedback. But it's, it's a, like I said, bulk of categories of where people fall. The first one is a task-oriented person. This is somebody who also likes a lot of autonomy, a lot of control over what they do. They like to be in, in authority. And I will tell you, this is somebody that's really hard to give feedback to because they are very aggressive in their stance of being authority-driven. 
right? So using the questioning approach is still incredibly useful. Um, I would say address the areas very candidly with them, but utilize their personality type and their feedback type to your advantage. Let them roll, right, with how to, to fix the problem. Give them due dates. They're a command kind of person. They'll, they'll go after it and do it, right? So as difficult as it is to provide this kind of person feedback, utilize it to your advantage and their advantage. Let them shine with it. The second is the thinker. This is a task-oriented person also. This is my husband. I'm just laying that out there. He's an engineer. Um, and usually engineers fall in the thinker spot. These individuals do like accuracy and precision quite a bit. It's not to say that they're not a control freak. They're a control freak over their expertise, right? And so if you're giving them feedback associated with what they're an expertise over, they might push back a little bit because they're the expert, right? Why should you give me feedback on my expertise? At the same time, give them data. Give them ideas. Talk through stuff. Let them think on it, because they're a thinker. They'll stew on it. They might even come up with better ideas. You can have a follow-up meeting afterwards with them. The other two are a little harder to deal with, because they're very relational people. And the level of the feedback that you give them defines them in their relationships in the workplace, right? So the first being the people-oriented direct person. That direct contacts with others define them in terms of their reputation and their placement and their status in the organization. And so handling them with a little bit more care is needed definitely Starting with a coaching approach is what I would recommend by asking a lot of questions to get their buy-in and participation in what happens with the next steps. Uh, the other is an indirect people person, but they still really think that their affiliation and their stability in your organization depends on those relationships. So equally to the other, handle it with a cooperative approach for all of these, I know that some of the research says start with positives with the socializer and the relator, but I say that with all of them. Start with positives, right? And don't end the positives with a but, right? And we have some areas to, to follow up on. All right, well, where do you think there's problems with the receiver? Why? It's interesting, sometimes, often, in the case of somebody who knows other details and so it kind of blocks their listening to the negative feedback, they don't relay it in the moment to the boss. And I never quite understood that. Because if the boss only has half of the information that the boss needs to make an overall evaluation or to aid with feedback, you're never going to get to a holistically great win-win if you don't provide information back. Right? So from a receiver's perspective, if there are details, note them as you're getting that feedback from your boss. Not all bosses are going to use a coaching approach to get that information out of the employee first before making recommendations. Right? But if you have the boss that's barking out, this is what you should do, start making notes so that you could then respond afterwards. Why else might I not listen? 
Yes. I know personally, sometimes I'm less receptive if I don't respect the person's opinion as much or they've done something and I have less respect for them. So the respect thing's a, an interesting bird for a supervisor. It could be uh, respect is diminished because they've engaged in unsavory, political, abusive behavior. And my research would suggest employees aren't going to take you seriously if you're yucky. Bambi principles 101, right? But there's also the other issue. Maybe this is, they're brought in as the supervisory project lead without the necessary expertise that the team is actually engaged in. And that can be a bigger problem. Right? And in those instances, I think for those bosses in particular, using a coaching approach is critical. Utilize the mass of the knowledge of your team and their expertise so that you can resolve issues that seem to happen. Yes? I think it's very similar to what the previous comments are, but I think a lot of the times I have, or you can feel like you're uh, receiving feedback from someone who doesn't understand your position, doesn't understand your day-to-day -day job or why things happen. And so like asking those questions can be really valuable to help me as a receiver understand, oh, like they do understand what I'm doing. So think about you as a receiver too. If you're a thinker and you are hearing a bunch of information and you need to digest the data and really outline why things might have occurred or how it could occur better, ask for a meeting follow-up so that you can digest the information and then strategize. It could be that you're more people-oriented and that in the moment you can utilize participative back and forth with your boss to find good solutions to that too. It's not to say that all bosses are going to engage you there, but you do it. You take control of the feedback that you receive, right? Or as best you possibly can, right? So I agree with you on that too. Anything else? Yes. So one, one of the things that's interesting about the company is that we like to grow people from within the company. We, it's, it's kind of rare that we actually hire outside. We like growing managers from people who started with the firm early. Um, but I think one of the things that we recognize is we have two people who start at the same level and someone gets a promotion and now they're that other person's boss. The other person feels like, well, well you and I know the same thing. How are you now coaching me? because you just got a new title, you don't know more than I do. So it becomes kind of problematic in feeling like they don't have the authority to actually coach them the right way. I can totally understand that. And I've been there. Yeah. Um, I was an HR manager in my early 20s and took over. And the ebb and flow of management before then was somebody who was way too nice and gave everybody everything and they ultimately fired her to Satan, right, that took over next and she was so yucky and gave everybody nothing um, and so they fired her and then they elevated me and I'm dealing with employees who are older than I am who are facing that same thing. From a manager's perspective, it's building trust and using those similar similar situations and experiences to benefit you both as you're coaching. I love the panelists who said, it's not just about me coaching. You give me some tips, I'll give you some tips, and that helps build that trustworthy interactions. At the same time, too, you will be a manager, and you will know more than they do, naturally, because you're going to be privy to a lot more information that they had.
Well, usually, I should say, right? And so I think it takes time for those kinds of things to happen. Knowing that is wonderful. So give the person the benefit of the doubt and hope that the others do the same thing as you get elevated as well. But it is a tricky position when it happens that way. Um, let's talk directly about those barriers. First thing, employees will often, in the spot, try to rationalize away the things that they're hearing. Because it can't be about me. It's got to be about everything else. And in attribution theory biases, that's called self-serving bias. It's never me. It's the situation. It's my team. It's the tasks. It's the difficulty of the client. It's all kinds of things. And so there's a natural tendency to dismiss the feedback in the moment. But I want you to try as best as you can to open your ears to hearing exactly what they say. I want you to also ask for more data to make sure it's right. But nonetheless, defensiveness puts up barriers automatically. And then, of course, the diminished self-esteem that I talked about before and the problems that the supervisor might not be giving you the right kind of feedback. Right? All of this can be barriers on the receiver's side. So to combat those, one, separate self-esteem from performance as best as you possibly can. Discover realistic expectations. Now, if your boss is asking you about performance in those moments, stop them in the moment and ask, what are you expecting to see? When are you expecting to see it by? What do you need from me? How do you believe I can improve? Have some say in that process, too. I, I actually tell students who are negotiating, even for a raise, I actually had two last week. I'm teaching negotiations right now, so it's in my brain. But very similar crossovers to the kind of communications you have. One employee went back and said, I am not at market. I am paid 25000 less than what the market relies. And they said, yep, you're right. So he's like, well, what to expect then? He said, we can't afford it right now, but let's put you on a progressive elevation plan that also evolves your tasks towards your MBA and enriches you in the job. Another one asked for 28000 because she was 28000 under the market, and she got it. Makes me happy. Critical thing there, though, is understand what the expectations are and don't let them off the hook, right? If they're like, I'm not sure, I don't understand, I'm not quite clear of how to do it, say, let's have another meeting then. I'll think on it, you think on it. When are we meeting? We're meeting on this date. Let's follow up. You be in control of your feedback, okay? And, of course, I'm going to keep emphasizing this emotional intelligence, right? Be aware of your emotions. Similar to your boss planning, and you as a boss planning before you have a feedback session with your employee, if you know you're going to have a performance meeting with your boss, do your homework in advance. Have your emotions in check as well. Think about your biases in advance so that you can be really receptive to grow and to develop. That involves self-awareness and unpacking it in two ways. The first way is understanding your own motives, your own desires, your own fit with tasks, your own fit with your coworkers, everything about it. Now, from an academic point of view, 
we, I always tell new assistant professors, you're going to do what's absolutely easiest because it's easy for you to, to, to just invest a whole lot of time in it. It is hard to publish. It is hard to write. It is hard to analyze data. It is hard to traverse the revise and resubmit process in our journals. It's so hard. So what's easy? I'm going to invest everything in teaching and nothing in research, or I'm going to be on this committee and I'm going to invest everything there. Understand your motives, what seems easy to you and what tracks your attention one way or the other. That might actually feed into the feedback that you receive. So be very honest with yourself about that. But the second part of this is going to be critical for the rest of your life, and that is understand how others perceive you. Right? It could be that you are very motivated and you are incredibly excited, but this does not translate to that to other people. So as you're going into your careers, and if you are in your careers right now, my recommendation for building that external self-awareness is ask five people that you trust that interact with you quite a bit at work. Take them out for coffee and say, in your opinion, do you think there's any areas that I can improve upon in my interactions with others or in my orientation towards my job? Again, it has to be people you trust because they need to be honest with you, right? But I also want you to have your spidey senses up. Look at their face expression. They're going to temper it a little bit. And so you've got to consider that all at the same time. Do this periodically throughout your career, but not to the same people, right? Because they're going to start giving you similar information. Or, oh, no, at the second time, you're good. You're good. No problem. Ask different people. Okay, actionable feedback is what you should be requiring from your boss, from the receiver's end. Can I see the data that demonstrates the low in performance so that you can make sense of it and ensure that things are being interpreted correctly and you really understand it. You want to know what your boss is seeing and how they're interpreting things. Get examples. There are many bosses who provide vague feedback on purpose because they don't want to engage in tough conversations. But you need examples, and not one-time examples, multiple examples, as horribly painful as that's going to be to hear. You need to hear it, right? Um, if there's any conditions and you start noticing it, is it only with this particular team? Is it only in that particular segment? So you can try to figure out how to best work from that feedback and improve. What are the consequences? How do you divert them? So in the diary that I want you to put together, Right? All these great things that happen in your world, some of the setbacks that happen in your world, I also want you to force yourself to follow up with those setbacks. And that relates to consequences, right? So you can inform your boss of consequences if they don't even know of what happened in those instances. And I want you to think of constructive ways because you need to be an active participant in the growth of your world, even if your boss doesn't ask. Right? Okay. If you need time, take it. Reflect, gel on it. I certainly say in negotiation, when you get an offer, do not sign immediately. I want you to go back. I want you to look at every little element of that deal and figure out where you can push, where you can counter, those kinds of things. 
The same thing with feedback. I want you to gel on it. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about different ways that you can address it. Have a follow-up meeting if necessary. Just depends on what the nature of the feedback is, right? And then, of course, be aware of your actions and how they're interpreted. So even in that moment, think about it. Well, we're here on purpose to talk about gender. There are some things that the lady said that really, really melted my heart. And I'm like, well, it's kind of speaking to my presentation. Um, i got to find them. Here we go. Paula said, talent management is where people get slotted because of development and uh, supportive behavior. Fluff stuff, Ladrika said. The note taker, I've had this experience where, you know, we're naturally the secretary. Here, you go up and take notes. Mm -hmm. So what I usually do when the man asks me that at a conference, I'm in my 50s, people. I'm a full professor. I don't need to be taking notes, right? I'll go, you know what? I'll talk it through. You take the notes. There are serious gender differences when it comes to communication and to feedback. So let's talk about those. Um, men have prescriptions. People have stereotypes about men and women generally. And this is true across cultures. In some cultures, it's stronger than others. Men are supposed to be career-oriented, aggressive, assertive, independent, business-savvy, all these things, right? And some are. I'm sure you gents are right? Some are. Uh, some are persuasive. Not all of them are, though. Some suck at it, right? But nonetheless, there are these general ideas that fit in a person's head, the stereotypes of what should happen. And as a consequence, the level of communication that happens between a supervisor and employee follow those general patterns at times. When a male supervisor provides very direct feedback, it's considered groovy like a first date movie, right? Women, on the other hand, we have to be warm, sensitive, and we are for the, for the most part, right? Friendly, cooperative, supportive, humble, all of the adjectives that these ladies said at the panel, right? They can also be business savvy, ambitious, all of these other things too, right? And guess what? Men can be these things. All right, ladies, you ready for it? What research suggests? And this sucks, but it's the truth. When men engage in warm, kind, loving feedback, keep this in mind, men, you get extra credit for it. Ladies, if you don't have any sense of warmth or support as you're providing feedback, even if it's candid, you're penalized for it. So from a giver's sense, in terms of that give and take, in terms of feedback, there has to be a balance of some type. And I've heard a lot of CEOs give presentations on similar things in their approach. In the moment when they have to be business savvy and aggressive and confident and direct, they are. But they'll also balance it off with some parental thing that they're doing in their work environment. There is this balance that keeps them in light of their femininity or those expectations, but at the same time elevating them up in a business sense. And so I, I, I don't want you to only engage in these things without providing direct feedback, but at the same time be aware that those general stereotypes do exist in the heads of people. And it just is what it is, right? Now, I think as people get to know you better too, 
it'll get easier in those interactions as you're having them with others. I loved hearing the things that the panelists said. Those are all incredible little bits of information that I hope you take to heart. Some other primary differences from the receiver's end is men are more likely to get constructive feedback and very direct and candid feedback than women. Women are more likely to get vague feedback. And it's because of the differences. It's because they're feeling women are going to be overly emotional. I know, it pisses me off too. But nonetheless, here's some examples that the scholars that did this research found. The vague feedback that Stephanie would get more likely is, Stephanie, your replies to partners about client matters are often not on point. Whereas the men would get, not Stephanie, of course, but Stephanie, you missed important opportunities to provide clear and concise information such as and give them specifics on how to develop and grow. Men, think of this, too, as you're providing feedback to women as well as to men, right? Women, you think of this as you're providing feedback to women as well as to men. Because as Laura said, it's not just men who fall prey to these stereotypical biases. It's sometimes women as well. Um, all right. I'm looking at time. I'm going to keep progressing because we're a little behind. And let's just go on how do you handle vague feedback. And it is everything I've just been talking about. Get data verification. Get examples of behaviors, right? Get documented consequences so you have a good understanding of it. And then you work with them to get suggestions for how you're going to improve as well. All right, in the feedback meeting, understand everything in that environment matters, right? I don't want you to have your laptop out I don't want you to have your computer on. I don't want you to have your phone up. I don't want you to have your iPad up. It should all be taken away. Because if you're giving serious feedback and an email suddenly hits, it's going to distract you, right? You're not going to be fully engaged in that conversation. You also have to have good nonverbals, and I'll talk about those in a second, as well as be a very strong active listener whether you're receiving feedback as well as when you're giving feedback, because you might not have all of the answers. So in terms of active listening, it is the process of you sensing what is being said, you interpreting what's being said, and then you responding and clarifying what you heard. Right. So strategies to enhance active listening, one, emphasize fairness, Two, paraphrase to ensure that you are actually hearing what they have to say. Um, I put my students through an ethics exercise this week. And they used a lot of interesting words to get through things to mess over the other party, essentially. And the words that they use were somewhat descriptive of what they were trying to say, but not fully. It was a cop-out. They weren't telling the full truth. Right? Sometimes your boss might use very tempered language that doesn't give you enough information to go by. And sometimes you might give your boss very tempered language that you're not quite understanding. If you don't understand what they're saying, paraphrase back what you think they're saying and ask for confirmation if you're right, because you might be wrong. And you need the accurate information to go by. Um, 
To ensure you are listening, give them affirmations that your eye contact is there. Aha, uh-huh, I hear you. Those kinds of things. And of course, nonverbals. 7% of all communication comes from the words that are actually said. 7%. The rest of it is nonverbals, right? The rest of it is eye contact. If you're not looking somebody directly in the eye, then that speaks volumes about your confidence in what you're saying. So if you are a younger boss, for example, or if you don't trust your boss, some of those cues that enhance that sense of distrust or disrespect is when the boss doesn't look at you in the eye. They're giving you feedback and they're doing all of these things. How can you trust the person that they have confidence in what they're saying? And it might just be innate. From a boss's perspective, practice that going in. Understand that your eye contact is going to matter. Now, I don't want you to be a serial killer and sit there and stare at the person nonstop like this without blinking, because that's weird and off-putting, right? But at the same time, understand it matters. Read your employee's eye contact, too, because that's going to relay information to you as well and follow up on it. And understand there are cultural differences associated with it. This is one of my favorite things. Just read this really fast. My slides got a little messed up in the transition here, but where you pause matters. The tone and and how high your tone is matters. It can signal discomfort. It can signal the person's upset. And the problem is when you're having these performance meetings, sometimes you're thinking things through and you do pause. If that's true, tell them you're thinking. So they're not misinterpreting the things that you say as something else, right? Um, Rate of speed matters. All of these types of things indicate confidence or not. So if it's a difficult conversation, you might practice that in advance before you engage that conversation with the person face-to-face. Seating matters. If it's a conversation where you want to build a cooperative relationship with somebody, have it be catty corner or next to the person so that it's clear that you're building a team-oriented environment with a person. Now, I say this, and sometimes you are having those performance discussions that are significant. That might be a discussion point to where you're asking them to leave, right? Or you're on the verge of progressing their career somewhere else. You've got to be able to understand that where you're seating matters and relays information in terms of cooperativeness or not. That's true in negotiation too, by the way. All right, here's some big tips. They're all summary of what I said. I gave a handout of exactly that. We were going to have a session to where I gave you performance information and you were going to actually practice, but you're hungry, so we're going to let you go eat and tips for receivers, too. And that's all I got for you today. Oh. Thanks. I gave my slides to the ladies, and they can distribute them all out to everybody else. I forgot. There is one last thing. After you give performance feedback, after you actually receive it, self-reflect, sharpen your saw, go back in there and do better the next time. Okay? All right. Go eat. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this workshop on giving and receiving feedback. As a supervisor and an employee, it was definitely helpful to me and helped me reflect on my own behaviors and identify ways that I can improve to be a better manager and a better colleague. I hope you found some useful takeaways as well. 
In our next episode, I will share the final session of the day, which was the keynote session by Professor Maya, a sociologist, author, and confidence researcher. Until then, you can always reach us at georgiamba at uga.edu. And if you want to learn more about the program, you can always visit our website, terry.uga.edu. Look for MBA and then full-time. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And another great resource to check out is the Terry College Instagram, which gives a broader view of the college and the university. And lastly, I want to recommend the Data Dogs podcast, hosted by MBA Student Engagement and our analytics program. They have been putting out some great episodes this spring for our current students that might interest you. But thank you again for joining us. We look forward to hearing from you, and go dogs! Go dogs!